Why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, and uh, we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And um, if you were with us last, uh, a week ago Wednesday, uh, we ended in chapter 45. Um, so I'd like to have you turn there. Uh, we didn't quite finish chapter 45 on that Wednesday night. And uh, there's a couple verses I wanna show you that I think are exceedingly important for us today. Isn't it amazing how the book of Isaiah has been so pertinent for the days we're living? Uh, and I, I just think the Lord has us in this book uh, so clearly, so profoundly um, to tell us exactly what we need to hear and show us what we need to know in these days that we're living. So uh, I'm excited about being in the book of Isaiah. And um, this is one of those important passages. You know, there's something about life where you, you never expect some of these things to really happen to you. Uh, kidney stones. I've heard, you know, so many of my friends have had kidney stones and I'm like, man, I, I guess something like one out of every 10 people end up having kidney stones. But, and I've known it's, it's not fun. Um, I've had two of the fun ones. I've had gout and kidney stones now. Um, I'm not sure which one's worse. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but it is funny, you know, there's a time where you kind of realize, uh, you know, it's probably gonna happen to you. I'm probably one of those people that don't drink enough water and all the things you're supposed to do to avoid kidney stones. And so I knew that someday I might have to face the music, you know, and, and uh, sure enough, it came. And uh, that, that's just life. That's just the way life goes. You, you know it's coming, but somehow you think you might be the one that gets away uh, without having to deal with that. Uh, facing the music, I actually remember hearing a story about that. There was a, um, um, a great orchestra um, that was, you know, the imperial orchestra of the nation. And this one man really wanted to be a flautist and play the flute in the orchestra, but he didn't know a, a lick of music. Uh, but he was a wealthy man. He was well known in the community. And, and so he sort of bought his way in. He paid the conductor of the orchestra uh, and demanded that he be allowed to, to sit in the second row of the orchestra and perform in front of the king. <laughs> but the conductor agreed to let him into the second row of the orchestra, even though he couldn't read music. He was given a flute, music, you know, a stand. And the concert would begin. He'd raise the, the flute up to his lips and pierce his lips and, you know, pretend that he was blowing a happy little tune out of his flute um, uh, and went, went through all the motions of playing, but didn't really make a sound out of his flute. And this deception went on for two whole years uh, when finally the, the conductor of the orchestra uh, quit and there was a new guy that came. Well, the new conductor, he said he wanted to give every single one of the musicians a trial just because he wanted to know what he was dealing with, who he was working with, what his team was like. And so he's gonna individually test each one of them and, and weed out all those who weren't able to you know, play up to his standards. Um, so he would dismiss them if they weren't good enough. Um, so one by one, these players performed for the conductor and finally it came to this guy's turn and he suddenly said, I'm sick, I, I gotta go. Well, he went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're not sick, you're perfectly healthy. And so they made him sit in front of the guy and that's when he had to shamefacedly confess that he was a fake. And uh, that was the day he had to face the music uh, that he didn't know how to read and that he didn't know how to play. And, and that's, that's what, what's coming for many, many people. Maybe we would say trillions of people, billions of people that have lived on this planet for all the millennia. Uh, could it be that someday people are gonna have to face the music 
and in kind of a way that, um, well, it, it's over the top. It's, it's amazing to think that someday you and I will stand before the Lord, the God of the heavens and the universe. In fact, let's take a look at our text here in Isaiah chapter 45. This is where we read, and, and we'll take a look at verse 22. Um, it says in Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. There's two people. There's the person who's declared righteous and the person who's against or incensed against the Lord, the true and living God. And the person who's righteous will be blessed and saved. The person who's not righteous and is against the Lord shall be ashamed and it gets worse from there. Here we're told, look unto me, the Lord says, and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Man, this is something that is global. It's not just an American thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a denominational thing about Jesus and what we think about them. This is God saying to the very ends of the earth, you need to look to me for I am God, there is none else. And he's basically saying the word of my mouth is, is righteous, it's, it's right, and it's not gonna be changed. And he says, that it will not return or change around, that every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear or confess is the idea there. This is something that's gonna happen, that the world will stand before God in judgment. Now, I don't have time to go into all the judgments. We did that a few, uh, maybe a year ago. I think I went through the various judgments in the Bible. You got the great white throne judgment and uh, probably also very popular to talk about the Bema seat judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. And those are two different judgments, but those are one of the two judgments you will stand before God. If you're an unbeliever, you'll stand before God at the great white throne. If you're a believer, you'll stand before God in the judgment seat of Christ. Two different judgments, two different outcomes, but judgments all the same. And so no matter who you are, someday you will stand before God and face the music. It's gonna happen, whether you like it or not. Um, and that's something you have to kind of think about and, and be ready for. You see, before I dive into this, uh, there's something I need to say that's, that's kind of important, and that is this. I'm concerned that our culture, that Christianity, especially in America, but really all around the world, that we've lost sight of what, the, what it really is all about. One thing at Athey Creek, we've tried for years here to, to make sure people understand that it's not about you feeling happy or your self-esteem or you being depressed or not depressed. Oh, those are things the Lord does talk to us about and he gives us wisdom concerning those issues. Um, but those aren't the main things. They're very, very minor compared to the, just the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I fear that we're more into our little things than we are into the gospel. And we, we like to exchange stuff for Jesus in place of Jesus, stuff that sounds so good, stuff that looks so good. 
you know, it might be something like hope. Hope is great. I hope you have hope. But you know what? If you have no hope, join Jeremiah who had no hope. Uh, be with, you know, uh, Job who seemed to have no hope most of his life. Be with a bunch of people who really were fairly hopeless, except for this, they had Jesus. And Jesus would be, a, to, to exchange Jesus for hope would be a sorry exchange. I'd rather have Jesus. Or, or maybe your self-esteem, maybe you feel good about yourself. That's a waste of time. What you and I need is Jesus. We need Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. You see, the, the human condition, we, we like to get all into our feelings and, and how well we're doing. And so you've got preachers like Joel Osteen, who's teaching, you know, living the best you or finding victory in your life and all this stuff about the here and the now. And it's not about that. If you look at the church today, much of the so-called gospel that's being preached is a social justice uh, or it's a gospel that has to do with making everybody else happy. Um, but that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is this. And, and I, I'm not gonna pull any punches on this one. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner and we deserve death and hell. That's the whole thing. You and I are headed straight for hell. That's what the Bible says. Brett, you're, you're, be careful, man. You're, you're feeling those kidney stones kicking in. Maybe, but it makes me so glad <laughs> I'm not headed for hell and death and destruction, eternal torment. Man, that's, that's the worst thing that you can ever imagine. But that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. And because of that, the punishment is eternal death and hell. But while we were yet sinners, you know, we could have just been left there in our sin. But God loved you and loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to pay your penalty to die on your behalf and by faith, by his grace through faith, we're saved because of what Jesus did, not what you're doing. So many churches, we spend so much time talking about what we should be doing, do, do, do. Uh, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta be plugged in, you gotta make sure to make those people feel happy and impress those people and show people your victorious living and write a book and do all this stuff, do, do, do. No, it's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross, completed, finished, the total done deal and the acceptance and the belief, uh, the faith that you have in what Jesus Christ did. You repent of your sins and say, I'm a sinner and I know I'm wrong and I deserve death and hell. Then you accept the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, who was your substitution, died in your place. And then when you accept that work and believe in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, not by your works, big goof. Some of the doctrines out there today would almost lead you to believe some of these churches believe that it's faith and works that saves you. And that's a huge mistake. Either Ephesians chapter two uh, is either right or wrong. And I believe the whole Bible's inspired when it says you're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, but we're saved by grace through faith. Um, grace is undeserved, unearned favor that God wants to show you and me. And so we get off on tangents as Christians. In fact, I worry even in this pandemic, I've seen evidence of people who their priorities are kind of mixed up. Uh, what really matters, you know? And I hear people talking about, for example, um, the worship that they miss. And I, I do, I love worship. I lead worship. It's one of the major parts of my life and ministry is leading people in worship, song and using my instruments to do so. 
But can I remind you that that is a very minor key in the, in the, um, the whole New Testament. Uh, the, how many times does the New Testament church talk about their singing program or their worship pastor? There are no worship pastors in the New Testament. Um, you know, you might see a couple things mentioned. Jesus led one song at the upper room. And, you know, uh, you know basically we're to speak songs and hymn spiritual songs to one another, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Yeah, of course we get to do that, but such a minor mention. And then you see some people singing in heaven, which we're gonna join them someday. That's gonna be awesome. I'm not minimizing the joy and the blessing of singing. We'll always be singing at Athey Creek. But what I've noticed is it's almost like people wanna listen to their worship leaders doctrinally more than they wanna listen to their pastors. It's almost like people in this pandemic would rather, you know, uh, say shine our church, at least somebody's worshiping downtown Portland, shine the doctrine that our pastors have been teaching us for so many years about good solid doctrine. We'd rather go sing some songs by a person down there in downtown that has kind of wacko doctrine, but oh well, it's okay. At least we got to sing our songs and make a statement politically that we're not gonna wear masks and we're gonna march downtown. That wasn't an Athey Creek thing. And that's why a lot of us as Athey Creekers didn't go to that because it was, it was it, I'm sure it looked wonderful in some ways as oftentimes those things do, um, but it was very misguided. And I'm just gonna say it as a pastor, I, I was grieved to see people uh, jump on board with that. You know, um, one of the things that is being preached out there is you can be as great as Jesus. That's one of the things that this guy believes from the Bethel ministry. And uh, one of the things that we should watch out for is this notion that, you know, you are, you are as great as Jesus or, you know, you, the same spirit that was on Jesus is the same spirit that's on you, so you can be as great as Jesus. Nobody's as great as Jesus. Um, nobody was great enough to die on the cross for my sins except for Jesus Christ. And see, there's this teaching that's just out there that's, I'm telling you, it's dangerous teaching. And we've been teaching about this for years, but I, I do concern myself in these days where people are a little flustered and a little bit riled up by the pandemic and all the things that are going on. I wanna give you guys an encouragement to stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of America or all the denominations and churches and all this stuff, but stick to the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus. Um, you know, it's so easy to be removed, you know, from that. Uh, it reminds me, really, of when Paul the Apostle was sort of, it seemed like he was kind of stunned um, there in Galatians. You know, the Galatian church, they had the same kind of problem to be drawn away from just simple faith and, and how they were saved. Listen to this, I'll read it to you. Galatians chapter three, verse one says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, you are now made perfect by the flesh or your, that is your deeds, your works? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministers to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, <clears throat> know that ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify <clears throat> the heathen through faith 
preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Paul said, how are, how are you Galatian people so quickly, easily removed from the, the, the faith? Just that, that one thing that saved you. It's not your good deeds. It's not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or having the greatest hope of all. No, it's Jesus, believing that Jesus did the work on the cross, saved by his grace through faith, not of our good works and not of our good deeds. You see, that's the only thing that's gonna matter. Um, when, when you stand before God on judgment day, when you stand before God, when I stand before God on judgment day, the only thing that's really gonna matter is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing when I read Isaiah chapter 45 in our text here, you know, there's a scripture there. Some of this sounds familiar to many of you. You know, he, of course he talks about salvation through God. Even from the time of Abraham, Galatians said, you know, Abraham believed God, so it counted him righteousness. Just like you, believe God and it'll count for you for righteousness. The same way, um, only Jesus was the one who made that possible for Abraham and for us. So it says, look to me and be saved to the ends of the earth for I am God, there is none else. So that's, that's where salvation comes from the true and living God. But the second verse, verse 23, it says, um, but I have sworn to myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me, the Lord says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. That's saved, unsaved, they'll eventually not bow the knee before God. Where does that come from? Where does that sound familiar? Why don't you keep your finger here and turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Because on judgment day, every knee will bow. And, and you know who brought this up from Isaiah, quoting it from Isaiah chapter 45 was Paul the apostle when he wrote to the Roman church. In Romans chapter 14, it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, let's take a look at this. In Romans 14, 10, it says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us therefore not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather than no, uh, to, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now there's a lot here. This is where, you know, he says in verse 11, quoting from Isaiah 45, 23, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess to God. And everybody's gonna say righteous and true are his judgments, that the Lord knows it all, gets it all, does it all. But you say, okay, Brett, that's great. Um, but you're missing something here, Brett. It says, why do you judge your brother? You just said some judgmental things about Bethel. Um, but yes, here's the thing. This is what I need to show you. See, see what it says here? Let us therefore judge one another, not judge one another anymore, verse 13, but that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Go with me to Matthew chapter seven, real quick. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter seven. I always crack up because people get this kind of wrong a lot of time. Um, uh, so we just read from you know, Romans 10, uh, 14, 10 about not judging one another. And then people are quick to do this, Matthew chapter seven. 
verse one, where it says, judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Um, and then of course, you know, why do you behold the, the speck or the splinter moat that is in your brother's eye, but consider us not the beam that is in your own eye? Some people might say, Brett, you should, you know, be careful and not judge people. But here's the thing. Um, I think individuals are on their own. Like I, I'm not gonna stand around judging people and I don't. But when it comes to ministries who are trying to point people in a direction spiritually, if they're pointing people in the way of a stumbling block where that person could be stumbled and maybe even, God forbid, stumble right out of the true gospel, where instead of the gospel being about, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved by Jesus so that I'll go to heaven by God's grace through faith, it becomes the gospel of I can heal people with my magical powers and make one leg longer than the other. Or I have the hope uh, for, this, for this generation and I, I'm gonna be hopeful and look how happy and great I am right now. But there's no repentance and, and no gospel being preached. I can't, I can't get behind just that just single message. Oh, hope is important. But repentance and confession to salvation and acceptance of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. If a ministry is leaving that part out, I believe they're putting a stumbling block. Well, but who are you to judge? Well, check this out, same chapter, Matthew chapter seven, the same chapter says, judge not lest you be judged. Check out this, look at verse um, 15. Beware of false prophets. Now, Matthew, you shouldn't, Jesus, you shouldn't be so judgmental. You just said, don't judge anybody. And now you're saying, beware of false prophets. Is Jesus being judgmental? Of course not. He's being wise, of course, as Jesus always is, warning people of false prophets. Listen, he says, beware of false prophets, verse 15, which come in, uh, come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They look like Christians in the church. Um, which inwardly there are ravening, ravaging wolves or ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereof by their fruits, you shall know them. My pastor used to teach, say, Brett, you know, we're not to judge one another, but we are called to be fruit inspectors <laughs> and judge the fruit. And the fruit is this. If you see people repenting of their sins and accepting Jesus Christ and the, believing in the cross and really focusing on Jesus, giving all the glory to Jesus and not glory to me or health and happiness and wise wisdom to me and power and victory to me. No, if it's all about Jesus and we see Jesus's name exalted and people's like me, sinners who've made huge mistakes saved by God's grace, then we're seeing good fruit from that. People saved. That's why Paul said, I have determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, Paul was the guy who focused in on that. And that's what Jesus even is talking about here. He's saying, yeah, we're not to judge one another. You know, that is to be critical of each other and our own sins and mistakes. We all do that. But we are to watch out for these people that are in ministry that are claiming to lead people correctly, but they might just be wolves in sheep's clothing. 
And I'm, I'm wanting to really put this out as sort of a splash of cold water on hopefully a bunch of Athe Greekers and anyone who would be willing to listen to this sermon uh, to know that we need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ and what the true gospel message really is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that salvation comes through God by his son, Jesus. And if you, if you believe and confess with your mouth, Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, it says you will be saved, saved. Your salvation is not connected to how good you feel or your victory or even your own you know, happiness right here and now. Um, it's amazing when you almost look at what successful ministries would call successful ministry. Is it for you to have a nice car and a house and live and have a nice job and live victoriously and finding the most in you and all that has nothing to do with the gospel in that sense. If you think of it, think about all the men of the gospel. Were they victorious? You know, Peter was crucified on a cross only upside down, like Jesus, but upside down. That's how his victorious living ended. Um, Paul was beheaded, uh, you know, there in Rome by Nero um, and, and beaten, shipwrecked, you know, hurt so many times. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus himself was betrayed by his closest friends and crucified on a cross. And, you know, and, and really all the great people of the Bible, you know, virtually all the disciples ended up dying brutal deaths. Um, with the exception of John the apostle, they tried to boil him in a pot of oil, uh, but the poor old guy didn't die. And so he lived to be old, but, but he suffered. He, he suffered a lot because of his faith in Christ. And so I'm just concerned that we not get easily duped by the messaging that's out there right now. I think we've been sold a lot of bill of goods about a lot of things in this culture, in this world that we're living. Everything from, you know, how we're supposed to handle the pandemic. Nobody really knows. The, the, the messaging is very mixed out there. But before we're too critical of our government and the way they've handled the pandemic, I would say we should look at ourselves as a church, the greater church in, in, in the world today and say, how's our messaging been? Have we been clear? Have we made the messaging clear? Is, is being a Christian, someone who spreads bark dust on the school parking lots to help the planters look nice and be part of the community? Um, is that what a Christian is all about? Oh, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing nice things, but it's funny how you know, that, that's become sort of the main thing in a lot of circles. You know, we're making sure that uh, the social injustices are all solved. Is that what we as Christians should be all about? Um, uh, should we be trying to fight for this and that when really the only thing we're told to fight for is just really going to all the world and preach the gospel. And the gospel is not health, wealth, and wise. The gospel is you're a sinner who needs to repent of their sin and be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Some of you are like, Brett, you've been preaching this for years. I have, but for some reason, I think this week particularly, the Lord is put it on my heart to really put an exclamation where the Bible puts an exclamation. All throughout the scriptures, it declares this. Even here in Isaiah, we have kind of this salvation, you know, message that God is where salvation comes from. It's not me doing more or being such and such. It's all about him. 
He, it is he who saves us. It's not we ourselves who can save us. It's God who sends his son and it's his righteousness. You know, it's such an amazing thing. I, I sometimes worry the message is so beautiful that it's almost lost. You know, it, it almost seems like it'd be easier in some ways to have more of say like a Muslim type of gospel, which is not a gospel. You know, that if you bow to Mecca three times a day and, and you say your prayers and you celebrate Ramadan and you do your fasting and hopefully if you're good enough, even though Allah is a capricious God and we don't really know who he is or what he's gonna feel on any given day, good luck with that. But you know, it'd almost be easier to sell that because we understand that that's just the way a human is, capricious, never know what kind of mood they're in and you don't get something for free. That's pretty much Islam. But the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's so, so good, you, you almost could miss it. And it's this, you're bad, he's good, so he lets you in on his team. <laughs> like you didn't have to do anything to deserve it. You didn't have to earn it. All you had to do is repent and say, I'm a sinner who's failed. And then the Lord says, guess what? I'll blot out your transgressions. I'll robe you in my righteousness and I'll save you from all your dark, ugly sins that everybody else could smell and see. But guess what? When you're in Christ, when you're, when you're robed in his righteousness, nobody will see it anymore. Your sins will be remembered no more. You're justified. The word just as if you'd never sinned at all. You'll be pure and clean before God. So that when the day comes, when you come to that day on judgment day, you'll stand before God and you will know that you're in good shape, not because of you. You won't be standing there thinking, well, Lord, I gave my money to the Boy Scouts and I helped with the PTA at school and I was kind to the little old lady across the street, helping her to cross the street. Uh, I think I deserve heaven. You, you won't be there with that argument. That won't get you there. Your best works, the Bible says, are just a big load of filthy rags, but, if you're standing on that day, judgment day, saying, Lord, I have done nothing to deserve salvation, but I have accepted the work that you've done for me in my place on my behalf, then the Lord will look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in. But the person who tries to get in on their own goodness or their own righteousness, the Lord will say, depart from me, thou wicked servant, I never knew you. Does it make anybody nervous? I mean, it should. I mean, here we are in Matthew chapter seven. If you read the chapter on further, listen to what it says in Matthew seven twenty one. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Now we'll have to talk about what is the will of the father in heaven? Well, it's just what we read in Isaiah that every person comes to, to the Lord for salvation. Um, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Uh, in thy name, cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. So the people that are out there making legs longer and doing miracles, I'm not saying miracles don't happen. We, we see miracles happen and we pray for miracles. But even those that are doing miracles and even proclaim to have school of miracles, um, you know, Hogwarts for Christians kind of thing, um, I would be cautious because miracles mean nothing when it comes to this. Jesus says that there's gonna be people who say, didn't we do a bunch of miracles? And they'll say, doesn't matter. 
I never knew you. How, how do you know the Lord? What's the will of the Father? Well, the will of the Father is that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, Jesus, the one who reconciles you and me to the Father. When we were in sin, we were separated from God by our sin. When you're born again, when you are born into sin, you're born into death. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're given, you're given new life. That's why it's called born again. New life, eternal through Jesus Christ. And the miracles, man, miracles never saved anybody. Remember all the miracles Jesus did in Capernaum? And so few people believed he ended up cursing Capernaum saying, you know, you're cursed Capernaum because if Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have been better for them than for you Capernaum because you've seen these miracles that I've done and yet you still not believe. People think that miracles are what it's all about. It's not. It's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross as he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So what are we called to do? It says, look, Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me, not look unto me, the pastor, not look unto thee, the congregant. Um, don't look at ourselves. That's one of the telltale signs you can see a ministry is off course is when it's all about you. When it's all about your feelings and how you're doing and you, 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 you. That's when, because it's not, it's not about that. It's all about him. It's all about pointing to Jesus Christ, who's the author. And it says, look unto me, the Lord says in Isaiah 45, 22, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. And then I, he says, I have sworn by the word, got out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return or change that unto me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The person who says, Lord, I have your righteousness, they're gonna be saved. The person who's incensed and angry at the Lord, he's gonna be ashamed. This is what even way back in Isaiah, the prophet was warning us about, only to be clarified in the New Testament that much clearer. It's all about looking unto Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of, by the way, of Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. It's there where we read, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What are we supposed to do? Look to Jesus. And what is he? He's, he's not just the author, he's the finisher. He's not the, see, that's the problem. Some of these ministries will kind of treat like, oh yeah, 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 you gotta be saved by grace or faith. Once you're there though, push that aside. And now it's all about miracles or about works or doing, doing, doing. But that's not what it is. Jesus is the author and the finisher. The same way you were saved is the same way you're supposed to stay standing, the Bible teaches. Um, we're to live by his grace every single day. We're not to just say, well, grace saved me. Now I need to do works because of that. Don't get me wrong. James was right. I don't disagree. Neither does Paul. Um, that you know, faith without works is dead. When you see a person of real faith, you will see works in their lives. It's, it's you know, um, it's not faith and works. It's not faith or works. It's faith that works. When a person has faith, you'll see works start to work out in their lives. It's a natural byproduct of real faith. But here, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so what are we supposed to do? Look to Jesus. Man, I just hope in these days we're not getting bogged down and even perhaps a stumbling block put, it, put before the congregation. 
um, where people think that it's all about the, the worship leader's doctrine or all about you know, doing more or demonstrating and showing our brotherliness or our brotherhood uh, among the world, marching against that or doing that. I'm, I'm just telling you, we don't see that in the New Testament as much. What we see is Paul saying, I've determined to know nothing, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. To speak of the cross, you know, some people say, well, that's foolishness. You know, there's churches you can go to by the, by the dozens. Here in Oregon, here in Multnomah County, by the dozens that will not say the name of Jesus. They won't talk about the cross and his death because, well, to them, the cross is foolishness. That's what they would say. It's just some guy died on a cross. But let's talk about, you know, the happier you and uh, how you can be in better shape and how you can be healthy and wealthy and, you know, wise and all this stuff. That's just not a gospel at all. But I believe it's becoming a giant stumbling block, perhaps for this nation, for all Christians. Beware, Christian, don't get stumbled by that stuff. But I pray that we would be champions of God's grace through faith. The, the sins that we've done, acknowledging and repenting. Repentance has to be part of the equation. And to repent of our sins and to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that we're saved by his righteousness and his righteousness only. I love that Isaiah the prophet throws this at us right now in our Through the Bible study because, man, I think we need to hear this today. The church needs to hear this. I was tempted, by the way, to do a sermon because in Isaiah 46, that's another scripture I could have used this weekend where you know, um, the Lord tells us, uh, we've studied this before, uh, but where it says, you know, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient things which are done, the Lord says in uh, 46.10, I will do all my pleasure. You know, you could go into some Bible prophecy there. I love Bible prophecy. And uh, we'll be doing that, Lord willing, cupping up here in a couple Fridays. But, but, um, but, you know, I just couldn't get around this beautiful, beautiful, clear statement from the prophet Isaiah that I feel like the church of Jesus Christ needs to hear desperately, look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and will not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and tongue shall confess. Surely one will say, in the Lord I have righteousness and strength, and to him many shall come. But all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Man, I hope that you're a part of those people that can come and say, Lord, I am in your righteousness, robed in your righteousness. And that's the only way that we can truly approach the true and living God. You know, as we consider this, you might just consider yourself, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about this is on judgment day, you know, What's, what's interesting to me is all the things that people get sidetracked on and people put their focus on will have nothing to do with you on judgment day. When you're standing before God someday, um, you're gonna be judged before Christ, not on a curve. You're not gonna be on a bell-shaped curve how you did it compared to everyone else. Um, you know, when you stand before the Lord, what the person did to you or didn't do to you or, or was mean to you or whatever, that's not gonna matter at all. What people, how people wronged you or what that boss for, forgot to pay you or whatever, none of that's gonna come into play or how victorious you were living on this lifetime or how many friends you had or part of people that were part of your team or whatever. 
won't matter one tiny bit when you stand before God on judgment day. On judgment day, I'll be judged before Christ. Christ will be the judge and I'm not gonna be judged on a curve. And ready or not, you're gonna be judged before God. That's just gonna happen. You know, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 talks about those that say, where's the promise of the Lord's coming? You know, and all this stuff. And they're, they're saying he's just kind of lazy and waiting. There's a day that's coming where we'll face the music, where you'll face the kidney stone, <laughs> or you'll, you'll stand before God. It's a day that's going to come. And it's going to be surreal, I think, for a lot of people when they are finally there. And the things that you, um, you know, did in your works, those will be measured at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, but they're for rewards, not for salvation. So what matters the most is what you did concerning your own sin and your own failure. On judgment day, you'll give it a, a personal account for you know, whether or not you accepted Christ and accepted the work of the cross. You know, um, God knows it all. On Judgment Day, we'll have all of our secrets judged, everything that's just between me and the Lord. That's why David, the psalmist in Psalm 19, 12, he says, oh, cleanse thou me of my secret faults. Because even his own sin, he knew he had all kinds of sin, even secret stuff that nobody else knew about. But David would be able to stand before God declared righteous because he confessed his sin before God and believed in faith that God had the way of salvation. So that's the question. It's not about other people and it's not even really about other churches that watch out for those stumbling blocks that people are putting out there, getting people sidetracked on stuff that doesn't matter. But, but the question is, what are you gonna do about Jesus and about salvation? That's the big question. Because the Bible says, if you haven't accepted Christ, you're still in your sin. But when you accept Jesus Christ, what a glorious message. You repent and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned and I, I've sinned against you. And I ask you for, to forgive my sins and cleanse me of everything out wrong I've done. Even the stuff I've yet to do in my future, you died on the cross once for all sin. Just acknowledge Jesus and his power to forgive sin and then accept that work. Say, Lord, I accept the cross, the work of the cross. And I believe that I'm saved by your grace through faith. Through faith, I just simply believe that your cross was powerful, mighty enough to save even the worst of sinners like myself. And when you accept that work of the cross and, and confess with your mouth that faith, the Bible says you will be saved, kind of like our Isaiah passage, look unto me and be ye saved even to the very ends of the earth. If that's you and you wanna do that, just pray that prayer right now. Just pray it to the Lord. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner, I repent. I believe the cross was powerful enough to save me and that I wanna be part of your people, saved, forgiven sinners, saved by your grace. And so don't be shocked. If you do that, then you stand before the judgment seat someday and stand before the Lord and he'll say, enter in thou good and faithful servant. And you'll say, but I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. And the Lord will say, yep, that's because you enter in by my grace through faith. It's the most glorious message anybody could ever have. That's why I think I wanted to share this with you guys, particularly today, is because we need more of that message, the cross, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. That's where it's at. That should be our message. And, and man, there's other things we can talk about, about what the Lord wants to do in our lives. I'm not saying you can't talk about hope and happiness and 
even how you deal with money and all that stuff. But all of that takes a massively far second to just the whole thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know what that is. Don't be confused about what the gospel is. Well, let's not mix our messaging. Our messaging is so clear. You're a sinner headed for death and destruction, hell, and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And if you accept that work of the cross, you too can be saved. It's that simple. Let's pray together. And Lord, we do thank you so much for the good news of the gospel message. I pray, Lord, that people wouldn't be duped to another gospel, which is not another, Lord, but they would so easily be moved by emotion or by experiential things. Lord, we want your doctrine of your word to nail us down and give us the sure foundation upon which we stand. Salvation by grace through faith, through your son, Jesus. So Lord, I pray your blessing upon the people of Athey Creek and anyone else who might be listening, Lord, today. I pray that they'd have ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church today. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.